There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. In this episode of Revealing the True Light, I'm going to be covering part two of seven reasons you should never practice yoga. I asked some questions in the description online, like the following. Is the phrase Christian yoga an oxymoron? Is there such a thing as a quote-unquote kundalini spirit? Can Christians practice yoga without compromising their faith? Those are three big questions that need to be answered. Now, in last week's episode, I covered the first three of seven reasons a Christian should never practice yoga. And that was number one, the spiritual foundation, which is Hinduism. Number two, the spiritual perception, which is the way most yoga devotees look at certain spiritual concepts. And number three is spiritual deception, and that is the satanic influence that is involved behind yoga. Now we're going to start in this week's episode with number four, which is spiritual transfer. What do I mean by that? Well, in yoga, in uh, philosophic yoga especially, in Hinduism, it is a very desirable thing to receive something called shaktipat from your guru. And that means the transfer of an awakening of the kundalini. And the word kundalini means serpent power. The teaching is that there is a latent power coiled like a serpent at the base of the spine. And it is the essence of the divine nature that needs to be awakened in a person. And that nature is one with Brahman, which is ultimate reality, an impersonal life force that fills all the universe, uh, which is the concept of God in Hinduism. Well, we know as believers, as Christians, that during this transfer, it is actually a demon, not the power of the reality of God, but an evil spirit that is transferred from the guru to one of his followers when this takes place. Now, you may say, well, I'm just going to a yoga class. I'm not asking the teacher to lay hands on me and awaken a kundalini. So is it safe for me to go to the class? Well, you need to consider this. If the leader of the class embraces a new age worldview, if the leader of the class believes in the basics of Hinduism, then that person is under the influence of deceiving spirits. The devil is called the great deceiver that deceives the whole world. And those demonic underlings that work under his authority have the same goal, and that is to veil the truth, to bring evil into people's lives in the guise of it being good and beneficial. That's why the Bible says Satan can appear as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. 
So if the teacher is just running a hot yoga class where all you do is physical exercises, maybe there's not even any chanting or meditation going on. Still, you are sitting under the influence of someone who can transfer to your life a spirit that is not the spirit of God. And so it's very dangerous to do so. I have phone calls from all over the world, literally from all over the world, people calling me for prayer, desperate because they were involved in yoga, many of them just in the basic hatha yoga, which is the physical aspects of the, the asanas and the pranayama exercises, the breath exercises, and they were just participating in those kind of yoga classes and yet started having spontaneous experiences of supposed awakening of the kundalini. It was an out-of-control thing. They could not do anything to stop it. It almost felt like it was driving them insane. And of course, they came under the influence of a demonic power. And of course, God will deliver them when you call on the name of Jesus, claim the power of the blood of Jesus, deliverance is available. But still, there is a danger there. Now, I've had some people who are involved in, in yoga tell me that they are Christians and that if, say for instance, if the mantra Om is being chanted in the room, they just don't participate. Instead, they say the word Jesus or or some kind of biblical word in order to calm their minds. And they ask me, is that wrong? Is that bad? Am I putting myself in a vulnerable position? Well, first of all, you need to understand what the word Om is. It's actually the symbol of Hinduism. The emblem of Hinduism is the word Om in Sanskrit. And it's supposedly the first word that brought the creation into manifestation. That when the Godhead, when Brahman emanated the universe out of itself. And in that worldview, ultimate reality is an it, not a he. And when Brahman emanated the universe out of itself, then this word accompanied that manifestation. And that was the word Om. And so by chanting that word, you come back into oneness with the original vibration of the universe. And supposedly it aids you in achieving God consciousness which in that worldview and a new age perspective means you become consciously aware that you are God, the absolute opposite of the truth. Now, usually real serious yoga advocates stretch out the pronunciation of the word OM until it's almost like three letters, A-U-M, as they're chanting in mantra-like fashion over and over again. And according to Hindu teaching, that represents identifying with the three chief gods at the head of the Hindu pantheon. The A invokes Brahma, the creator god. The U invokes Vishnu, the preserver god. And the M invokes Shiva, the destroyer god. And also Shiva is referred to as the Lord of Yoga. What entity do you refer to as your Lord? If you refer to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
then you sure should not be chanting something that is a reference to Shiva, a false imaginary deity being the Lord of your life. God forbid. And do you think it's even acceptable to God that you be in the room when that false declaration is being made? I know many New Agers teach that Jesus spent the years from 12 to 30 in the Far East studying under yogis and gurus and swamis in order to awaken his Christ nature so that he could show us how to walk in the same footsteps. That's what they teach. Well, if that be true, if he spent 18 years or close to that in the Far East studying those philosophies, why did he come back? And in Matthew 6, verse 7, in his first primary sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, why did he say, use not vain repetitions like the heathen do? So I totally disbelieve that idea that Jesus was in the Far East. None of the people that rejected his teaching, the Pharisees and the scribes, ever brought out against him an indictment that he was teaching those occult ideas. Their refusal of his claim to Messiahship was based on other things, and they certainly would have brought that up if that was part of his spiritual portfolio. Well, why is chanting a mantra so wrong? Because it's taught that it's like a magical incantation that can manipulate this impersonal force in order for a person to achieve higher levels of consciousness. But God is not that mechanical. God is a personal God that you approach in a personal way, not with repetitious prayer. I don't even believe in the repetitious prayer taught by some Christian denominations. You don't repeat a prayer over and over in order to achieve some kind of spiritual status. You approach God like the greatest friend you've ever had in a conversational way. That's what God responds to. Also, there's a spiritual transfer that takes place according to certain positions of the body that you hold. For instance, most yoga advocates, when they sit, will balance their wrists on their knees and then touch their forefingers to their thumb. That's referred to as a mudra, which is a symbolic gesture of the hand that represents a spiritual concept. Well, most people have absolutely no idea that that particular mudra is an invoking of Brahman, this ultimate reality in Hinduism, to merge with you and come forth in your soul until you come into oneness with Brahman. The thumb is representative of Brahman and the forefinger is representative of you. And when you touch the two together, it's like coming into union with Brahman. That's what it represents. I don't think you want that in your life, do you? The yoga poses are various offerings to different Hindu gods. For instance, and I'll just give you a few, the tree pose is a worship to the god Vishnu, which is the preserver god. The dancer pose is a worship to the god Shiva, who is the destroyer. Well, we know who the destroyer is, and he is the prince of darkness, certainly not a god you want to connect with. The warrior two pose is a worship to the god Ganesha, which is a god depicted as having an elephant's head and a human body. The goddess pose is a worship 
to the goddess Kali, a very vicious and violent goddess. And the crocodile pose is a worship to the god Rama. Have I said enough? So when you assume those poses, you are acknowledging, in affirming, and also invoking the presence of those false deities, or rather, more correctly, the demons that impersonate those false deities into your life. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder it is such a dangerous thing for Christians to be involved in yoga. In fact, I've seen some groups that claim to be, quote-unquote, Christian yoga advocates that have no qualms about sitting in the lotus position and using that mudra form of the hands that I just described a few moments ago. They're mingling, and God said, come out from among them and be a separated people and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters." Now, let's go to number five. The next reason you should never practice yoga is spiritual intrigue. What do I mean by that? Well, see, some of you have a real good filter system because you've got a great doctrinal base in your life. And you may practice uh, some type of physical yoga exercises and never go any further or deeper into the philosophical aspect of yoga. But not every Christian has that filter. And sometimes uh, you can go to a yoga studio, for instance, and find all kinds of influences that will woo you deeper into falsehood. Not too many years ago, I went to a yoga studio in California, and the young man manning the desk in front uh, told me he was a Christian. And I looked around the room. There was no Bible anywhere. But there were stacks of yoga journals, which is a very popular magazine that yoga advocates subscribe to. There were pictures on the wall of various gods and gurus. There was a statue of Buddha. There was an emblem of Om in the room, but absolutely no Christian emblems. Now, a Christian is going to come into that atmosphere, get intrigued about all these mystical symbols and esoteric books, etc., and start reading and go deeper and deeper into deception. So, number five reason that you should not practice yoga is spiritual intrigue. Number six is spiritual endorsement. Probably the best passage of scripture I can use to support my view on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. In that chapter, Paul talked about food that has been sacrificed to idols and then is sold in the marketplace or offered to people as a meal. And he said the, the idol is nothing. It doesn't exist. You can pray over the food in essence. I'm, of course, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting verse by verse. And you can sanctify that food and you can partake of it. And so what if it's offered to an idol? Because you can claim God's cleansing power to separate it from that occultic influence. But he went on to say, if a brother who is weaker sees you eat that food dedicated to an idol, he may assume that you're giving some type of respect or reverence to that false deity 
and that weaker brother in the faith is corrupted as a result. And so just to make sure you are not endorsing a wrong interpretation of the things of God, Paul said, I won't eat meat the rest of my life if it's going to offend or cause a brother to stumble. And so in like manner, I'm not going to go to a yoga class, even if the teacher claims to be Christian, and even if Christian music is played, and even if all the participants claim to be believers, I'm still going to a yoga class. And the word yoga means union, and it implies union with Brahman. The very name of that exercise system is a revelation of the belief system behind it. So finally, I get to number seven, and that's spiritual compromise. Don't tell me that you can redeem yoga and make it useful. It was not God's to start with, and you can only redeem what belonged to God to begin with. And I do not believe it's a redeemable system. I would urge you to find a Christian alternative altogether that doesn't associate itself with yoga whatsoever or doesn't use any of the methodology of meditation or mantra chanting, etc. And also, I need to tell you that the former guru I studied under taught us that yoga was witchcraft. It was witchcraft. He said it was white witchcraft. He differentiated between black witchcraft, red witchcraft, and white witchcraft. Black witchcraft is power that is used for evil purposes. Red witchcraft is power, spiritual power that is used for selfish purposes. And white witchcraft is supposedly spiritual power that is used for righteous or good purposes. And supposedly all three of these draw from the same source, which is Brahman and two are corrupt and only one is pure, but all of them are impure because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God outlawed witchcraft altogether. He didn't differentiate between black, red, and white witchcraft. And he said that one of the main reasons he drove the Canaanites out of the land was because of their practice of witchcraft. And he told us not to participate in those kind of practices. We are not to be yoked together with unbelievers, according to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. What concord has Christ with Belial, which is a name for Satan? What communion has light with darkness? We need to be a separated people. And instead of being yoked with a Hindu belief system, listen to the voice who said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You need to take the yoke of Jesus and find his rest, not the false semblance of peace, that yoga and meditation may give to you, but walk into the biblical revelation of prayer and the correct way of serving God, and you will find a peace that passes understanding. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. 
We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.